0: But I get asked a lot, believe it or not, I do get asked a lot about, "Are we recording?" and "Can I have my notes or something like that?" And which I do, by the way, I, I need to probably put it like on a just make it where you can download the notes, because everything I do pretty much write or bullet point. Uh, I, I'm getting the older the more, the more I do this, the less notes I have, and the less notes, it just kind of comes off the cuff, and it's in my heart already, that kind of thing. But well, we're going to begin in First Peter chapter two and i'm just not going to make it past the first three verses i just i just can't there's just a lot there and uh i think a lot to unpack there and so that's where we're going to kind of hang out and and dwell today first peter chapter two and let's just read through the verse three verses i tell you what let's get pentecostal and uh, uh old school let's stand for the reading of the word I think the offset is we'll do a little bit old school tradition and I get to wear a hat. Fair? All right. This, uh, okay, here we go. Uh, verse one here. Probably would help if I was on the right chapter. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness, let's pray. Father, um, Lord, I, I want to speak your word this morning, God. I, I, I want to speak to you, uh, Lord. I, wanna, I want this not just to minister to your people, God, but to minister to you, Father, that our hearts seek your word out for instruction, God. It is our acknowledgement of our desperate need for you, Father. We need you, God, this morning. Teach us in the way that is right. Return us, O Lord, to the old way, to where we walk with one another, as you did with Adam in the beginning, God, as you did with Jesus. Lord, let us walk with you like your sons and daughters. Father, grow this seed this morning in our hearts, that it may develop fully and become the witness of your glory to this earth, in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You may be seated this morning. So we'll just start straight from the beginning right there. When Peter says get rid of all evil behavior, he says this with a full understanding that you can't strong arm your attitude. You can't strong will uh, your attitude, your emotions, or any other of the conditions of your heart. I do believe there are some people over time that just decided, I don't understand like, why you can't quit doing this or what I totally did, you know, and, and maybe there are some things that you were able to strong arm in your life. The unfortunate part about that is that you absolutely receive all the glory about that. And the thing about that is it just takes and it, and it grows your pride and your self-esteem. And, but here's the thing you're going to find out in life. There are some things that you need help with that you cannot overcome. And a matter of fact, I'd probably say there are more of those than anything else you think you can strong arm. Because really, is it a win that if you strong-arm something that you're able to conquer it only to develop a self-pride? Did you win anything? Now you're just arrogant, and now I don't like you just for that. I mean, Peter understands this more than anybody. He, he can't fix himself, and neither can we. And so he begins to develop this list, you know, to things to get rid of. And and I truly think these are good things to be talking about. I I think there's not a coincidence that he lumps them all together because I think they're the catalyst for one another. And if there was ever a time he was talking to the church, it's right here. Because the first thing right off the bat, he says, get rid of deceit. That's when we lie and we cover up the truth. We put on this fake uh, persona so that we look like we have it all together, but we don't. I love uh, listening to, I kind of fangirled out, as I, I told some of you, kind of fangirled out a little bit over Matt Chandler uh, this past weekend where I got to see him speak, and I've never seen him in person ever. Uh, for the last six or seven years, I've seen videos of his podcasting and things like that, but I've never really seen him. And so like one of the things that I thought was unique, it, one of the things he said, the more he's in Dallas and the more he's around uh, the culture of the Bible Belt, where it's very saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the more he gets sick and tired of what he called veneer Christians. Where they look like everything is perfect and white and nice and straight. But it's not. It's not real. It's not the real thing. And it, it was it, funny. It was driving him crazy, he said. Because here's the thing. When we do that, we're not presenting the truth. We're presenting a lie. We're saying that we have it all together. And when we lie about that, we lie to others about our life. We lie about Christ's victory in our life and about the truth of the gospel. And listen, this might be the single most repelling thing about the church in America today because we still struggle. We struggle to see what isn't true and what is true, right? We continue in this lie to walk like everything is okay. We put on a face and on a front and we act like we got it all together. It's a lie. It's a lie. It reminds me of a joke Eddie Murphy once told when he talked about cheating on someone. He says, Are you gonna believe me or your lying eyes? It means I'm going to continue to lie until you absolutely believe it. Even though I'm caught, I'm going to continue to lie, is what he says. And I think I think the funny thing is I think people in church, we all know that they're broken, messed up, and a mess. But I am going, are you gonna believe me or your lying eyes? Because I'm 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 sticking with my story. I'm good, I'm overcoming, I'm I'm all these things. My life might be a wreck, but I sure ain't gonna show you. We hide ourselves because we're scared what everybody else is gonna see. They'll see that we don't have it all together. They'll see that we're human and we're prone to weakness. They'll see that we're broken, messed up and that we really do care what they think or we wouldn't be hiding ourselves at all. And so we lie. We become fake. Or as my uh, daughter said, we become the great pretenders. And I told you some of that on uh, Wednesday. She said to me, she goes, it's easy. I I'll, I'll just, I'll just act mature. And I said, how do you act mature? I just pretend like everything's okay. Hmm. Some great truth there, by the way, guys. Out of the mouth of babes. We do this. We present this false maturity to everyone else, right? And in doing so, we become what? What was the next one? Deceit. And then what what do we become once we start to be deceitful? We become a hypocrite, right? The great liar, the great pretender. I am one thing, but I really actually am another. Right? That's the persona we put out there in front of everyone, right? The hardest part for those that live in America and really more of the southern half is that we live in a place where the Bible is actually saturated. Man, there are churches everywhere. Matter of fact, one of the probably the meanest things that ever got told me when we first got started with this is that a guy that just came up to me out of nowhere and goes, 241. Okay, such like your locker number? I mean, I don't know, you know. No, that's what number you are in the Highland Lakes area. You're the 241st church. Thank you, I feel great now. Like, are you not you give me a hug and tell me how much you love me now, you know what I mean? Uh, you want to kick me too? I mean, go ahead. Uh, anything else you want to say to me? I mean, like... We are saturated. There's churches everywhere. The the information about Jesus is out there, but it also means it's also distorted, though. And it's also a, a misinformed image of who Jesus is. Oh, I've heard of Jesus. I know about Jesus. My grandmother told me about Jesus. Somebody told me about Jesus. I went to a youth group at one time. I was in children's ministry when I was younger, but I'm no longer there now. We've all know Jesus. It's hard here to witness. Everybody, everybody struggles witnessing here or we'd have full tables, right? Why don't they come? Because they've been. More often than not, the people we're going to face have been to church. What does that say for church? I've been there. I've seen it and I found it wanting. It's funny to me how much kids look at you and know that if you love Jesus, you should act a certain way or be a certain way. And one of the first things people say to me a lot as they approach our churches today is like, man, it's just full of hypocrites. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man, because the biggest thing we struggle with is that whole facade that we have to pretend to be okay. Like Jesus got me victory on Easter, right? I know about it. I sing about it. I come Easter and I come Christmas and I live in victory, right? But Monday through Friday, I am suffering, Right? One of the greatest words I think I heard this past weekend is about how much we struggle from one weekend to the next. And one of the greatest things he was it was a great reminder of why, like so many people struggle. Like, why can't I live awesome on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Why do I have to wait till the next church to feel good about anything? Well, man, because manna was meant to die. It was meant to be a daily bread. You're supposed to get a word. Guess what this word's only gonna be good for, guys? Today. Well, then what am I gonna do? man, I got this idea. You can open this book and there's a word of God in there. And you go get that thing straight from the throne. Listen, I love to pick up manna for you guys and chunk it in baskets so you all can eat. But you know what's even better? If you had your own basket and you picked up your own manna and you ate it daily, you know, then you don't have to worry about maggots and all the leftovers and all the things that torture you and everything, right? You see, all these people, man, they struggle, right? And that's why they struggle in the week. They don't feed themselves. They're hungry, man. They're living out of the baskets of other people, man. They're, all these things, but they put on this facade like everything's okay, like everything's all right. And, and <laughs> this, this idea of hypocrisy, it's, it's a disease, right? We're compelled by our sinful nature inside to put on this fake outside. We want people to think of us higher and better than we actually are. The world knows we're supposed to be glory reflectors. That's the problem. Well, I, there's too many hypocrites. Well, what do you mean? I mean, these people talk like they love Jesus. They talk like stuff, but they don't do that. They don't love like Jesus. Something's wrong. They know something's wrong. It's hard to witness to people who make that argument. Because all of us know, truthfully, deep down we go, yes, there is. We all agree with that statement that there is, right? But the world knows that The church is supposed to look like Jesus. They know he is a God that keeps his word. What they're trying to figure out is, why don't you? They know that he's a God who is gracious and good because they'll tell you that he is love. So why aren't you? They know that he deeply cared for people, so why don't you? They know that he loves people, so why don't you? They know that he forgives people, so why don't you? And every time we fail to be Jesus, we become the hypocrite. Well, like, it's hard. Then start with that. In your conversation with somebody, start with that. There's hypocrites. I totally won. You're right. And then you say the the most honest thing that they're not ready to hear. You know why? Because I want to show you Jesus, but the truth is, is I messed up. Now, here's the only way I can show you Jesus, that in my messed up mistake of a life that I make it sometimes... God loves me and forgives me. And it's the only place that I go that I can do all those things, struggle with hypocrisy because I so do care about you, that I want to be liked by you. I want to be seen by you as okay. I want to do God such a great glory to be seen perfect because he is perfect, but I realize that I can't. And the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he saves me regardless. You do an injustice to the gospel when you do not tell the truth about your own life. I don't mean to sound like I'm beating a drum t- to basically show your own hypocrisy. I'm just trying to show you that the world understands Jesus enough to know what his image should look like. They know, right? That's why they jump on the bandwagon when a preacher goes down. Look at that guy go down. Told you, a bunch of hypocrites. They live such this upright life, such this thing. Listen, because pastors are guilty of hiding everything. They're guilty of that stuff, man. It's not like they don't reap some of that on themselves. They do. But but everybody's the same. Pastors are the same. They struggle too. How do we get there, man? I mean, deceit, hypocrisy. How how do we get there? What leads to that stuff, right? It's not coincidence that Peter uses all these things together, right? They're a catalyst for one another. One causes the other, and it just keeps... It's like a lie that just keeps tumbling and builds up as it goes. You know, you got a lie to keep your lie safe, right? I mean, it just tumbles like that, right? It, it, it really starts with jealousy, right, which shows up at your mouth first. So That's why he's worried about your speech. Because whatever's in the heart is coming out your mouth. It'll come out. That's the thing about a preacher. Just give it time. If he's doing bad stuff, it's going to come out his mouth. Give it time. He talks way too much. It'll come out. Jealousy shows up Jealousy leads to hypocrisy Hypocrisy leads to deceit It all starts there And the funny thing about jealousy As it pertains to hypocrisy Some of us are really good at being a pretender That we actually do fool some of the people That we have it all together Some of us are really really good at it Like we've mastered it We are the great fakes The great pretenders And we know it right And here's the problem we lead others into being the great pretender. They see us, they see this false life, and they envy it, want it, and become jealous of it. And so they look towards it to become like it. But you know what? They're miserable. Why? Because it's fake life. And they keep going. And here's, their, here's the mindset right here. Here's where it gets weird. Now, tell me if I'm the only guy here that thinks like this. We look at somebody, like for me, like really liking Matt Chandler, like I look at him and go, man, that dude's got a wonderful ministry. Dude, he's got this teaching ability that's gifted like no other. Oh, my if I could only be like him. Am I the only one like that? If I could only be like that. If I could only be like this. Right? This false impression leads us to imitate others. But the problem that we find out is that their life aren't, isn't true. That they're fallible. <laughs> that they struggle. That they're off in a broken mess. Right? Now, listen, to be honest, your life isn't your Facebook life your Facebook life is awesome. I applaud all of you. You are perpetually happy, hardly ever angry, and your family looks wonderful at every occasion. Because those are the only pictures and the only things you really share. Man, if our Facebook life was our real life, man, we wouldn't need Jesus. Now some of us, some of us, I love how some of us are honest. Like, man, I had the worst day ever. This person over here was the, I mean, like, they use it to just throw it all up, right? There's no love in their heart. We see the wickedness come out of them, right? But Christianity, we see it now more as a bullhorn to really like show off the pretend. See, I told you in my private life it was awesome. Total lie. Total lie. We lie. We lead others to lie about it. We lead others to lie. We lie about it because we want it. We want what they have. We see it in others. We covet it. And then we proceed to imitate it. I loved hearing this this past weekend from Todd Wagner. He spoke about the sins of David. He said David saw it, coveted it, and then took it. And I'm going to tell you we're not much different about the Christian life. You know why why nobody believes why it seems like so much hypocrisy is because other people have, this is where their failure is, right? They come in the church and they try to imitate someone instead of of the king, right? They try to imitate the church and not the king, right? And what they find out is the church is a lie. Yes, the church is a big sinner that needs Jesus Christ. And often that's what we do. We come in here, we get our eyes off Jesus, we get our eyes on someone else and go, man, if I could just be like them, because look at how they look at Jesus. Quit looking at them and how they look at Jesus, and you focus on Jesus. We become what we behold. What are you beholding? What are you beholding? It's jealousy. It's this vicious cycle. I mean, you'd be surprised how natural this cycle is for us, too. What do you think our kids do? Our kids are the king of this. Where do you think they learned how to, be no, how to say no? Where to be selfish? Where do you think they learned that stuff from? You think they just like, oh, well, they were born that way. We, the Bible says we were born into it. Uh-huh, but you teach them because you were born into it too. You teach your kids how to lie. Some of you right now, you tell me right now that you've justified a lie just for the sake of telling your kids because you didn't even want to explain it. You're like, they won't understand it, so I'm just going to lie. We don't do it because we just don't. We don't do it because this reason right here, a big monster will come out of the closet and will totally eat you because I want you to stay in the bed. Jesus will come down himself and on a bolt of lightning and scare you to death. Like, I think all of us have lied to our kid at one time or another, man. And it seems harmless, man, but you wonder where they learn that stuff, right? And they do the same thing. They'll lie because they think it's justifiably okay, even if it's little. And when it starts out small, like the little white lie, I love how we call it that, like it's less evil, Right? Uh, uh, it turns into other lies because it becomes once we show that it's justifiable to do so, right? And why do our kids lie to us as parents? Because they don't want to hurt us. So they learn to pretend because we press upon them an image that we're looking for and so they want to bear that image. And so they lie so that we feel good about it. Problem is you can't get away with that with Jesus. You can't get away with it. Jesus sees you. He knows you. You can't false pretend to Jesus. You can't put on the face, right? And so we go, we go look at the scriptures for the answers, right? I mean, like, even as I struggle with that thing, man, I see it all the time at Faith Academy. Like, and I don't mean to on Faith Academy at all because there's a lot of great things there. Uh, and there's some wonderful kids there. But they're doing what they see. They do what they see there. They think they're saved because it's all they know. They think they know Jesus because somebody else knows Jesus. They don't know him at all, but you know what they know how to do? Imitate the life of someone who knows Jesus. Right? That's why I can ask them questions and they don't know anything about the gospel. I have to teach the gospel at a place that you have to sign that you have already heard it and know it. And they don't know it. But you know what they know how to do? Act like they do. They know how to go to church. Well, I go to, and let me tell you something, when they write, I have them do a piece of paper every class I do so I can see where they're at spiritually. Give me your testimony. And if your testimony starts with, man, I go to church every Sunday. I was born into a family who loved Jesus and comes to church, therefore I am. No. I think one of the hardest things my wife was saying she had to do was go to Reese and go, alright, do you know what the gospel is? I mean, she's old enough now to kind of understand this, and like she's like, "Well, yeah, that Jesus loved us. Yeah. So you're, you're a sinner, and that means you're bad. She's like, well, I'm not bad. I'm like, Yes, Reese, you are. The things that you have you ever lied, Reese? Yes. She has. That keeps you from heaven, Reese. You know how hard that is? That's like breaking a little girl's heart. But I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not till we're broken that we understand what repentance and the need for God is. Right? I can't let her be fooled by oh well your past your dad's the pastor, and you go to church your whole life, you've never known any other life. No, Reese, you're bad. You're wicked. Inside your heart, there are things going on that cause you to want to lie, to to push out this false representation of who Jesus is, and it's not true. It's a very hard thing to have to teach an 8-year-old. But they learn from us, man. And we search the Scriptures looking for answers. How do we keep from these things? We, We search. We think if we can just have that maybe experience with God, if I can just go to a meeting or if I can just get around this group of friends. But here's what I found out when it comes to living Christian life. I had to conquer some of these things, right? Like I'd love to tell you, all right, so if you just like will turn to this passage and read this every day, you're going to be an overcomer. Here's what I have found out that that is not true. I love the one, two, three sermons as much as anybody. But unfortunately for me, one, two, three has never got it done. One, two, three has never equaled overcoming life. Here's what has equaled overcoming life to me. A walk over time with Jesus Christ. We talked uh, a little bit last night on the ride in uh, 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 with Michael and Brittany and was saying how much joy was saying how much my mouth has changed since I was 22 and right out of the Marine Corps. Where the F word was used so much, it's surprised I used any other word. It was like I just used one word to talk and that's it. And uh, along the way, the funny thing is, I can't tell you when I stopped cussing. I just know that over time, God began to take those things from me. Over time, God began to take different things from my life and begin to say it's time Jim, for this to be done. I'm purifying you. I'm making you holy. I'm, lo- I'm, I'm creating a spirit that longs for greater things. And as you want these greater things, you're going to have to give up things, right? It's like your boat's full and you've got a bunch of trash, bro. I need you to undo some of the trash so I can put some stuff in your boat. And so like this, this constant thing is happening in my, in my boat in life or whatever, where God is removing things and placing things where things were. So it's not like my boat ever empties. It's always heavy. It's always driving. It's always going. It's always working. But God is constantly removing stuff that doesn't need to be there and replacing it with stuff. That way I don't try to fill it in or create the void in there or something where it's just all filled in and stuff. It's meant to be this long walk with a dear, close, loyal, loving friend. So many today are reading book after book looking for the thing that's going to change their life and In almost 20 years of being a a Christian, I can easily tell you that it's this walk. I can tell you the more knowledge I gain, the less I feel confident in my ability to conquer jealousy. (laughs) The more I know, the less I feel confident uh, uh, about conquering jealousy or hypocrisy or deceit. Isn't that crazy? Like the more I know, the more I realize I cannot do it on my own. I can't do this thing. Matter of fact, if I could, it would already be done. The more I know the more I know has made me feel weaker and more dependent. The closer I draw to Christ, I feel like that. But the flip side to that coin is that I've made huge strides in understanding and appreciating the the enormous power of grace, forgiveness, and the overcoming power of the cross. Maybe that's why Peter makes much of like he 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 leads with this sentence and then presses us into verses two and three like newborn babies you must crave spiritual milk so that you will uh, uh growing a full experience of salvation cry out for this nourishment that uh now that you have test, uh, had a test of the lord's kindness and he leads us right into that like like i know you're struggling with these things but when you struggle with these things go back to the simple things Right? Go back to this spiritual milk. Go back to these things that were there when you first got saved. I mean, can you recall what was that, that was like? Do you remember? When you first heard the good news, when your eyes were opened to your own heart condition as well as the grace and forgiveness that God had given you, it all collided together. I mean, you didn't understand much, but hey, it didn't take much, right? I think about when I first started preaching, I didn't know a thing. And to me, I thought, man, looking back, I'm going, man, if I was that pastor, I would have never let me get on the pulpit. He was crazy. Something was wrong with him. Like sometimes I think we like for the the people who are newborns just to get in front of us because we're like, we just want to see the fire burn. It's not that they really know anything. We just see the power of God on them and we marvel at the bush. It's on fire, right? That's what happens. It doesn't take much. Someone lights a match to the dry forest in your heart, right? And it just consumes you. You remember how everything little thing you learned was like a revelation knowledge from Christ? Like, what about the cross? What? No way. Like, God is just blowing
1: my mind, man.
0: And to some of you, like I would say those things, be like, oh, that was like 15 years ago. We hungered, we were thirsty like a hungry baby. A hungry baby cries, gets mad. I want to eat. Now. And we don't know how to say it. I mean, like his babies, they don't know how to say that. So they just cry and get angry and mad. And I'm not sure that we're still different. We want something to help us, God. God, we're hurting. We, we're struggling to overcome something, God. Wah, 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 I don't know how to say it, God, but I'm getting mad. And we tend to like, we, we, you know, as we get older, we get worse. We like throw temper tantrums. We do. I don't know what God's doing. I'm not talking to him right now. I can't even pray to God right now. Because I can't believe God would allow this in my life and everything else. I mean, we, we still do the same thing. And hopefully the, the idea is when, they're, when we're children, we kind of grow a little, right? We, we get some teeth on us. We start to chew on heavier things, right? The meat of the Word of God god gives us a bit more of his goodness a greater view of his beauty behind the veil and i can tell you for some of us man like if if you've explored god you've like from one like i just took another step in the lord and i feel like god's graced me more wisdom and man i i just like this was a hurdle in my life that god is this like revelation knowledge has just ripped my soul out man it just like i mean just done wonderful things right we become very aware of the the super spiritual days right These moments, we've had these incredible moments and these incredible times. But I would say this, beware of becoming too uh, uh, overly zealous and super spiritual if you think that the days of milk are over for you. Peter was a three-year seminary student of the school of I Walked With Jesus, which I think beats all our seminary students and seminaries around the world. When Jesus is the instructor... Man, I love some of these guys out there, but they're just not Jesus. I think he can teach better. When Peter tells us to continue to crave the pure spiritual milk like newborns do, let me tell you something, and this is the worth taking the note of. If I tell you anything, this is the thing that woke me up in the middle of the night where I said I wrote like towards the end of this thing, the thing that God had like spoke to me in the middle of when I was thinking about this stuff is this. Milk is always great, great, and meat can be even better, but meat isn't a substitute for milk. Meat wasn't meant to replace milk. It's an addition to your spiritual diet. How many of you drink milk still? I mean, like, I drink whole D. Bring that junk on. I got all this 2% stuff. Like, what we do? Just mix it with water and call it, I mean, come on now. Some, I mean, you know, we still pull out the cereal, Right? I mean, how many, like, like, late night, you know, you get in, like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, you ain't supposed to be eating cereal that late, and you just, like, bowl of cereal. My kids, like, tear that stuff up, box be gone by the morning. Like, well, it was supposed to be for morning. Sorry, Dad. Meat wasn't meant to replace milk. It's an addition to your spiritual diet. You never get to where you can't enjoy the simple things. That's really the message here. Go back to what's simple Go back and remember. God is rarely telling us, boy, I sure wish you would catch up. But he's always telling us, go back. Quit trying to be more mature than you are. Drink some milk, right? It's okay. I know you like meat. But drink some milk once in a while. It's good too. Right? Milk is always great. And meat can be better, but meat isn't a substitute for milk. These simple things should never become The simple things should never become the unappreciative things. Right? We're never going to get away from the cross, guys. We're never going to get away from grace. You cannot out-preach grace. You cannot out-preach the gospel. That's the whole reason we're here. And hopefully it works its way into every single message and everything we do. What are the simple things? Usually they're the things we first learn about. Things like love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. These things are imparted into us at the moment of our new birth. Everything after that all the deep stuff is the meat and listen it only is a reinforcement to those spirit those core spiritual foundations that you've been given to from milk milk begin the foundation in you it started your body working together becoming whole giving you a foundation to begin with and as you chewed on the meat and as you grab the deeper things of god they're not meant to take you away from becoming like god They're meant to draw you closer to God. When we first get saved, we open up about our brokenness, our shame, our defeated nature, and our messed up, sinful existence. I mean, we have to. I mean, unless you came to Jesus any other way, there is no other way. (laughs) This is what you repent from. And what happens after that is we could just get a bit weird. We peer into the church and begin to take our eyes off Jesus and onto the people next to us, and we start to become what we're beholding, jealous, hypocritical, deceitful pretenders. It never stops being simple, though. That's never going to be a bad thing. I love J.R. Vassar at this conference. He said this, and this is such a simple truth. He said, God treated Jesus' life like it was ours, so he could treat our lives like it was Jesus's." We're never going to get away from the simplicity and the greatness that it is of who Christ is and what he's done. We're never going to get away from drinking milk. So just grab you some vitamin D milk, whole milk, man, and get you a big old fat steak. Something's got to take that thing down, right? Need something to wash it down. Maybe that's the point. I chew the deep things, that's great, but maybe it's to be always washed down in light of Jesus, in light of the cross, in light of the simple things. So we go back, and we, we're supposed to return to Him, to return to that moment. Right now, just, just let's do this one thing for me. Just, just humor me real quick. Close your eyes right now. And remember that moment. That moment where you met Jesus. Can you see it? Can you see your helpless, needy soul longing for something more? Longing for something that seems impossible? You're broken for the first time. You see yourself as the mess. Do you see Jesus reaching out to you? Whether it's through a church or some personal relationship or someone who's just been speaking to you about Christ. Can you feel that moment when they said to you, because of your repentance, that you were forgiven. They stood in proxy for Christ and they spoke with, with, with audible words that you were forgiven and that all heaven was rejoicing. Do you remember your heart in that moment? Do you remember what it felt like? The tangible presence of God in that moment. The overwhelming, all-powerful presence of the Holy Spirit raining down love instead of the judgment you so rightly deserved. For that moment, you weren't the pretender. Do you remember that? Now open your eyes. Are you still longing for something deeper? Something meatier? When all of God's grace, love, and forgiveness is before you. May God strike me down if I ever stop preaching on the milk of God. Intimacy produces offspring. Newborns are developed from our repeated visits to God through intimacy. How intimate is the talk of dispensationalism? Do you even know what that is? How intimate is the talk of God's sovereignty in Arminianism versus Calvinism? How how intimate is that kind of talk, seminary talk, where we sit around and we discuss the Greek and the Hebrew. It is the talk of lovers that produces intimacy. David said that I may gaze upon your beauty, that I may dwell in your house for all my days. I'm going to tell you, you want to know why David's a man after God's own heart? Who pursues God like that? Who just like decides that when they're going to pray, it's not going to be about their own selfish needs and want. Because, Father, whatever you want, I want. Oh, how I long to be with you. Come to me, my Lord. Stand with me. Be with me. Right? Meat is good, but it's no replacement for milk. It's an addition. I think too often we hear milk being preached and we think it's because of the evangelistic nature of the preacher. But it's also possible there might be a few other reasons. Maybe the people who long for meat haven't shown the spiritual maturity by which to eat it. Maybe he sees the hypocrisy and the jealousy and the deceit. Sometimes people's teeth just aren't ready. Sometimes I think it's just because there are so many newborns that it's the nature of the father. And like, listen, we should get this as parents, right? To entreat our children amongst us before we feed the adults. You ever think about that? Like sometimes we just preach milk, why? Because the children always eat first. We always make sure the children get fed before ourselves. (laughs) We do that at every fellowship dinner here on Wednesday night. Children go first. Then we usually try, hopefully, I mean, we do the ladies next, right? I think a few guys get in there like, the heck with that, you know? The irony of life is that as we get older, our body isn't going to be the great vessel of meat consumption. I'm not looking forward to this day, guys. They're coming a day, man. My teeth ain't going to get it done anymore on the old three-inch thick ribeye. May God help me. Please, Lord, help me have some teeth that last that long for a three-inch ribeye. May I be 90 years old still knocking down three-inch ribeyes? Well, I mean, we just—but physically, it's more likely it's not. As we get older, the funny thing, you know, visiting rest homes and nursing homes, and all these things, right? The body—it's funny how much the body goes back to eating softer things. And you know what? What I found—I found this early on in ministry too. I would always ask the older generation: What is it about the Lord, man? I just love God's grace and forgiveness and the cross. They would never be like free will, Jim. What do you think about it? They would never be on the deep things like that. You know what I'm saying? These things that cause so much controversy and stir because they're, they're always like, God's forgiveness is so great. Oh, I'm going to long for heaven, pastor, and where the glory, and it just, I want to see Jesus' face. To it's like, it's all milk now again. It's funny. We start out on milk, and it's like I've seen just an older generation, as you talk to them, they get to the place where like, yeah, meat was great, and there was a time I was really hungry a lot, and God fed me these things, but you know what? I found out, that milk is still so good. That thing that carried me from the beginning, that gave me this whole life, that started me out on life, right? I come back to it going, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, right? God's thrown some sugar in it, made some ice cream over the years, right? Still milk. Don't, we're not to stumble here. You're different. You're different. We're not to stumble I'm going to read you a little bit more. A second, First uh, Peter chapter two, right here. He says, "Listen, you're not to stumble here, but you're not like that. You're a chosen people." Verse nine, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Right. He says, for He's called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents, foreigners, some translations say aliens, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. But listen right here. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And let me tell you, some of your neighbors are the ones sitting next to you. And some of your neighbors are really the ones that we think of that are living across the street from us, that we go to work with. He says, then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, of being the hypocrite, of being all these things, deceitful and jealous, a great pretender, they will see your honorable behavior. They will see your honesty. They will see that you'll acknowledge your mess and brokenness. And they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Because you will show them that in your weakness, He is strong. That though you deserve judgment, you walk in victory because Jesus has taken your judgment. Supposed to remember who you are, remember that you are the reborn. You're not the same person that entered into this world through their mother's womb. You've been transformed and resurrected into a new creation in Christ Jesus. I want to show you a video, 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 video.
2: a masterpiece, you know, I mean, maybe a Picasso, it's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece, I want to be everything he created me to be, and so I go to him in prayer, and I say, dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me to the image of your Son, make me your masterpiece, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa.
3: God, you said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. It's how it works. Okay,
2: okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here.
3: You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah,
2: you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say?
3: Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting.
2: Oh. Okay, okay. <laughs> You're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year.
3: I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away.
2: You answered my question with a question.
3: I did? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. Step <laughs> right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. okay Hang yeah. on. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. <laughs>
2: oh, hey, guys. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave?
3: I take out everything
2: in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here, and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. You're funny. You made
3: me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is, most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk, or can I chisel? Talk, chisel. No, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, You compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem
2: with lust. Time out. I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it any time I want. (sighs) Hang on a second. I mean, I I gotta admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see
3: me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away, because ultimately, you and other people need to see my son.
2: Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just, um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean... Even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And I don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather
3: play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be
2: God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know? I'll stay right here, and then, you That's know? That's just it. You never just
3: stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never even just stay. You're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I would? That's called control. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. (coughs) Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me hurts
2: me more than hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice.
3: I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them, and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character when you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we want another way. Your okay. ways are not my oh, ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child, in the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good.
2: Yeah. But you and I both, what? No one what isn't. Nothing, OK? You wouldn't understand.
3: <laughs> I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has
2: to say. But try me. It's just um, I let you down so many times, God. No, my child, you were never holding me up.
3: I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around in this relationship. I hold you up.
1: Okay.
2: Chisel away. Just just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult, and I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, Okay. I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared.
3: You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night, after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know, reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me, reach your back pocket?
2: God. Yes? I just been God, I'll do that right now. <laughs> You're just saying my name in vain. It's, it's a name. It's a
3: saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach your back pocket. Oh, my
2: Shh. <laughs> you
3: know what that is?
2: <coughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college.
3: How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah.
2: I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say? take me then use me God I give you all that I am take me I love you God
3: I love you too and I love you too much just to leave you where you're at this salvation that you hold I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge I want you to work it out in every detail of your life and when problems come and chaos happens don't look at it as, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines child. A father disciplines the ones he loves.
2: I know what it's going to be tough.
3: Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece.
2: Tommy is God's.
3: No, not the way you see yourself, where you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you.
2: Tommy is God's original.
0: You know, we showed that video, uh, we used to do a conference called the Masterpiece Conference for uh, young, t- young students, men and women, uh, that uh, for purity. And I think it gets me every time. And I thought it was appropriate because in this, when Peter's saying to go back to these simple things, he's saying, remember who you are. Remember what God's doing. You started off as a mess. You're already better, but that doesn't make it the end. You're not the end. You haven't reached there yet, right? How do I stay under the fountain where God comes, just pours himself out? You do it by staying broken and being honest. <laughs> you can't fake perfection. You can't fake that stuff. You got to remember you've been transformed and resurrected into a new creation in Christ Jesus that you're called to be the great reflection of his greatness. Well, how is he great? He's great because he's taken you and your life and everything that was a mess and he's made it something to behold. And it's not the work of your hands, it's the work of his. You're supposed to reveal to the people all around you God's glory. His ability to take a mosaic from all the, make a mosaic from all the broken fragments of your life and show them off as the work of his hands. In the words of Peter, he would say, don't hide it. To quote Peter, he would say, you're not like that. You're not like that. You're not a people who speak in jealousy or speak in deceit, and speak through hypocrisy. You're not like that. Crave the things that are good. Long for the things that are right. Now, I, I, I want to do something a little different. Uh, I got this uh, uh, little idea from, from uh, the, this, this conference, and it's just in a way of praying, and I really felt it was uh, good for us this morning to do this. Uh, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Well, one, Reagan, will you relieve mom? Will you grab mom and bring her here? And here's one of the things that they approached us there at the conference. And I thought it was so good because I think it's so true for really what we're doing today. Like, I know that this whole thing seems big. And I know that um, it's so hard and so difficult and the pressure to feel so upright. and, And I mean, even as I go to this big, gigantic church with this swimming pool type baptismal and all these things, man, I look at it and it's hard to not behold it and desire it and want those things. But I want Jesus more than I want those things. But it creates anxiety, it creates stress, right? When we look and we behold things that aren't Christ, right? We know when we're not because those things all of a sudden bring us the fruits of things that aren't Christ-like. Stress, anger, selfishness, resentment, guilt, condemnation, all these things, anxiety, everything, man. And and it's for what? It's for nothing. And so one of the things that uh, one of the pastors did there, he did this wonderful thing where he had everybody close their eyes. And you can close your eyes. He says, here's what we're going to do. Whatever that is with you, I want you to cup your hands out like you were getting some water out of a fountain. You'll cup your hands out in front of you, and I want you to pretend like it's right there. Whatever that is. Whatever that's been bothering you, whatever that's been troubling you, whatever that is, it's sitting there in your hands. And it's not meant for you to drink. It's meant for you to pour out. It's meant for you to give away. Whatever the stress is there, whatever the anxiety part is, whatever the part that is trying to draw you and pull you into becoming a great pretender, someone who's filled with hypocrisy and deceit and jealousy, someone who's beholding the people in the church rather than the king of the church. the thing that's trying to pull you away from being the overcomer. It's in your hand right now. And I just want you to begin to tell the Lord that He can have it. I want you to pray, Lord, take this from me. It is too much. Take it from me. And then after you do that, begin to ask the Lord, Father, more of you More of you. More of you. Just pray. Just begin to pray. Tell him, take it all, Lord. Take it all. We pour it out to you this morning, God. We give it to you this morning, God. Some things are too heavy, Lord. They're too great, too vast, God. Father, we're sorry that, that we sometimes try to strong arm it, God. Father, let us walk in the simple things once more, God. We hand this, we pour this thing out at the altar, God. Father, we ask that your fire of the Holy Spirit would burn it up and quench it, O God.
1: Good child. beauty.
0: out the things God that need to be removed in Jesus name Amen I guess that's God calling okay it's good you can move on now